Welcome to the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast, hosted by the rock star of consulting, Alan Weiss. Be prepared to have your beliefs challenged and your behaviors questioned. I want to welcome Chip Bell to the Uncomfortable Truth. Uh, Chip is a colleague of mine. He's absolutely brilliant in the customer journey and customer relationships. He's written books like Take Your Breath Away, Service Management, Service Magic, I'm sorry, Managing Knock Your Socks Off Service. Uh, I have here your newest book is Inside Your Customer's Imagination. Is that right? Or you have a newer one? No, no, that's it. I'm always working on another one like you, Alan. <laughs> so Chip has been on, uh, he's been in Fortune, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Business Week, and so forth. Every year, uh, he is rated uh, one of the top 10 uh, keynote speakers in the world. I think the Georgia legislature had passed an act that you can't have a list like that without him on it. Uh, I'll tell you something even more important to me. He was um, a highly decorated infantry unit commander with the Elite 82nd Airborne. And my father uh, was with the 503rd Parachute Infantry Regiment, the first one ever formed that jumped into New Guinea. So that's a great connection, Chip, and I'm happy to tell everyone about that. Welcome. Well, thank you, Alan. That was, it was my honor to serve. Uh, my father felt the same way. Uh, you talk about the fact that people can talk in another language when they think and dream in that language. Tell me about the language of the customer. I think the language of the customer um, is, is a challenge for most because we are all about uh, trying to communicate uh, information rather than trying to acquire insight, uh, which is a, a, a deeper understanding and, and a view from the angle of the customer. And I think to pursue that kind of um, what I call eccentric listening, <laughs> uh, I like to use funny words like eccentric, uh, <laughs> it, 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 but I think it, what it means is I go about it in a way that's, uh, that has a, uh, a grand purpose, a grand purpose of I want to gain deeper understanding and, and the path to that is to build a kind of rapport, the kind of relationship the kind of connection with the customer. I always think about the really good stuff is in the imagination of the customer, but we, and so I want to find a way in that door, but I have to remember it's a door opened only from the inside, uh, which means I've got to build a kind of connection with my customer that, that allows them to invite me in and share with me their imagination and insight. And, and I think the smart organizations that do that well, often find themselves ahead of the game and able to better not only focus on customers' needs and expectations, but try to focus on their hopes and aspirations, try to anticipate where they're going, trying to better understand uh, the things that's gonna matter most to them tomorrow, um, which we like to call being proactive, but I think it's a, a much more dramatic effort than that. I wonder, you know, in your experience, I mean, you and I are in the same general age range here. Do you do you think the customers yeah. become more or less sophisticated? Because I can make a case for either. You know, they've become more educated because of the internet and access. However, they're also often listening to the opinions of people who are relatively uninformed. So, do you think the customers more or less sophisticated today? I think they're more sophisticated than they've ever been. However. I think the, the core values of what causes the customer to build a sense of loyalty to an organization uh, is pretty basic, pretty simple, has been around a long time. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think that's changed. Um, I think their 
the, the tools by which they have access to knowledge and information have gotten um, savvy and, and, and enable them to be uh, have access to far more information, obviously, than they've ever had before, uh, which has enabled them to be much more sophisticated. But I think the basic core of who the customer is and, and, and the values that they look for in any kind of experience and relationship um, are pretty old-fashioned and been around for a long time. And I think it's perhaps the characteristic of what it means to be a human. Mm. Now, you know, I, I love this whole idea of the customer sort of immersion, the language immersion and what the customer dreams about. I, I didn't speak Spanish very well until I was immersed in it in Latin America. And I needed it if I was going to get a hotel and a meal and, and start talking to people when I was doing a lot of business down there. What do you think has to be done for people to be uh, immersed in the language of the customer? Uh, you know, do they think of themselves as customers elsewhere or do they they have to learn something else? They do. They have to learn, I think, an other, what I call an other orientation, um, meaning uh, if I approach the relationship, uh, it's, it's all about me and what I need and what I want, uh, that connection will never be there. And so, you know, I, I find, you know, it's it's sort of like the, uh, I think I used this example in an article that I saw in the grocery store, a woman that had on a pen that says, ask me about my granddaughter. Well, I think we need to have relationships that say, I don't have to have a pen to remind me that what matters to my customer is what I need to find uh, find access to. And so I think it's it's demonstrating the kind of compassion and, and empathy that says, I'm, I'm talking to my friend, not a consumer. Mm. Um, and, and I think that concept of looking at the customer as a, as a friend, as a colleague, not as a consumer, uh, needs to permeate the way the organizations think and the way they go to market. And so, uh, and again, that's why I say those features, those aspects are timeless. They are not simply something new and sophisticated. So does that make a case then, Chip, looking at the customers as friend and colleague rather than just a consumer, does that make a case for the power of, of direct personal sales and service as opposed to remote and virtual uh, and automated service. Absolutely, absolutely. And it also makes the case for the more we move toward chatbots, AI, and all kind of uh, fairly sophisticated technological devices, I think while those things can be important tools, if we come to rely solely on those or even primarily on those, uh, we're going to miss the heart of the customer and we're going to miss the capacity to build uh, to build their loyalty. And ultimately, to me, the quest for an organization, as Drucker said, is to create and retain a customer. And that kind of retention requires uh, a different kind of relationship than and simply can be acquired through a technological connection. Yeah, Technology I, makes it easy, but it's humans that make it authentic and real. Yeah, somehow the chat box has never done it for me. You said at one point that... No. Curiosity, you said, is an optimistic treasure hunt. You know, I find intellectually, this is me speaking now, I find intellectually curious people to be very positive and a great enjoyment to be around. So tell me more about your optimistic treasure hunt. Well, I think it's, it, it is a, a hopeful orientation that says, we all remember that joke about, I know there's a pony in here somewhere with my name on it. 
right. um, that has that as the punchline. But but I think it is looking at the optimistic side because you know there you you believe you believe and have a conviction that things will be better things will be um, I, and I think it's that kind of orientation to me and, and it's grounded in it's grounded in a deep curiosity a wonderment about the world around you and a desire to say I want to learn I want to learn I want to learn. Um, and so when I've worked with leaders in the organizations that are that really get the customer, that really understand the concept of customer, all of them are curious. They're always uh, saying, gosh, there's something I don't know. We need to learn more. We need to stay in the learning mode. We create, create organizations that stay in the learning mode. Um, and, and to me, that's the, that's the pathway to positive change and, and ultimately to organizational survival. So to me, it's and when I go about it in a way that's optimistic, it opens my capacity and my uh, for for seeing things that I would otherwise miss. And so I think it's it starts it starts with that. You know, it's it's a um, to me that's the, that's the whole effort is is it curious and is it do it our way that is a sense of gosh it's a it's a treasure hunt. There's got to be something cool out there if I keep looking at it. And I think those as you say, people who have that kind of infectious, optimistic curiosity are always positive people. Well, this leads me to a, another point you made that I find fascinating. You said that you should treat customers like royalty and you use some very famous brands for this, one of which is Rolls-Royce, which appears a couple of times in some of the great articles you've written and elsewhere. And of course I drive Rolls-Royces. Uh, and so that, that's- I know you did, you collect them. <laughs> that struck me particularly. Um, you know, I call Rolls service, you know, when, when you forced me to think about it, understated magnificence. You know, they don't hit you in the head yeah. with it. You just feel good. Uh, so talk to me about yeah. this, this uh, treating customers like royalty. Well, I think it is, and, I, and I'm, I'm learning more and more and more. I've, I've had a great opportunity to interview Rolls-Royce dealerships and, and uh, people who work in, uh, who, who sell $150 million jets and, uh, and yachts and you know, et cetera. And, and what they, how they approach the customer is not only with a sense of elegance, which to me is the quest for the best, quest for um, not perfection, but, but the, the best we can become. Um, and so it's always, it always has a sense of nobleness about it. Um, and I think because they live in that world of noble products, and noble services, there is um, to do that and to deal with that means I need to treat my customer in a way that reflects a sense of nobility as well. Um, and, and, it's, and so to me, there's a lot organizations can learn from looking at how luxury brands deal with their customers. Um, so my focus is not about particularly their products, but given the product that they're, they're marketing or selling, um, it requires a very different relationship. It's one laced in, in understanding and respect and uh, a sense of together, together, that partnership orientation, uh, we can do something unique and special. Um, people who are um, wealthy buyers tend to be growth oriented. They tend to be uh, uh, interested in, in experimentation. Um, they're interested in taking risk when the risk is, is managed, not foolhardy, obviously, uh, reckless, but they're willing to, to, because that is the path to, to learning. 
And so I think those brands that recognize that feature in people of wealth who are buying and, and how they it's been expressed uh, in their relationship and interactions, I think they provide great role models for any organization, no matter the economic strata they're dealing with. Um, I'll give you a quick example. Um, I used to do a lot of work with the Ritz-Carlton Hotels, and um, I was working with the, with the uh, property in Tyson's Corner, and you may know that property. I do. Because it's right near Reagan Airport, and it's attached to a shopping center. There's a, you can walk, literally walk out of the bar and walk into the shopping center. And I was meeting with a general manager and a, and a woman who was obviously a straight person um, who was in the mall walked into the bar. And she was sort of like, where did the mall go? And, I, and it was obvious she'd made a mistake. He immediately got up. He immediately got up and he said, excuse me. He immediately got up and he walked over to her and introduced himself and took her by the arm and led her into the lobby of the hotel and showed her the lobby. And then they were, when they came back through the bar to take her to the door that led back out in the mall, they were laughing together. And then she left and, and, um, and he came back and, and said, um, I said, wow, that's pretty unusual. You, you obviously knew she was a straight person. She said, he said, that's why we're here. We're just here to serve and be kind. And so I've never forgotten that. Here was a general manager of a very expensive hotel, but he treated the bag lady, the street person, with the same kind of reverence and respect and elegance that uh, he would treat any other patron of that, that particular property. So to me, that's to, when I look at luxury brands, those that are very successful, they have that sort of allegiance to the best of humanity. And it doesn't matter what strata the person may be in that they encounter. They always bring that sense of, um, of respect. And I, and I think that's a key part of it. I think there's a lot we can learn from those kind of brands and how they interact with their customers. You know, I was at the Ritz-Carlton in Naples once, which purportedly, you know, was their best in the country for some time. And it was, I was at the pool, it was about 100 degrees, and two, um, two managers from the hotel in suits and ties and dress shirts were walking across uh, around this pool in this hot, hot weather. Uh, and one of them noticed uh, uh, some litter and stopped his partner and reached down and got it and walked over to a wastebasket. And it occurred to me that that's a kind of habit and behavior that it has to be consistent. It was his default behavior. And you know what's important, you and I both know this, is how you act when nobody's looking, right? So that always impressed me. And I, I was always impressed that Ritz-Carlton, if you ask for directions of anybody in the hotel, didn't matter what their status was, they wouldn't point. They would take you where you wanted to go, uh, a, a real hallmark of that operation. It is, and that happened to be one of the most beautiful sunsets in the world. Is the one from that property in Naples? That's true. That's so a beautiful property, and I think it all started with Horst Schultze and his "Ladies and Gentlemen Serving Ladies and Gentlemen" orientation, and that's been embedded um, from him to Simon Cooper to Hervé Humler, who's the current CEO. Uh, and so it starts at the top: the leadership that's willing to demonstrate that same sort of of a legendary service. Um, 
embeds is embedded in that culture? Uh, I tell people, Chip, that they the first sales to themselves and what they believe, what they truly believe will be manifest in their behaviors. You say to people that luxury is a state of mind. What, what do you think the best way to create that kind of state of mind is for people? I, I think that's uh, a great question. Um, I think to create that luxurious state of mind may be, first of all, uh, a cliched line, the pursuit of excellence, that we, that we focus on making the best we can be of particularly the little things. Um, I was in, um, I was staying in a Holiday Inn Express and, uh, I got out of bed and my feet stepped on a, I want to say a two by three foot, foot silk, silk, um, rug, silk rug, it was small, thin silk rug, but it was very, and so I was, wow, that's kind of unique. And I mentioned it to the general manager downstairs when I was checking out, uh, who was walking through the lobby and I stopped him and asked him, I said, where did that come from? And he said, well, you know, one of our, one of our leaders stayed in a upscale hotel and they had that. And so we decided that that could be something we can add. We have some leeway with the brand and that's what we do. And we've gotten a lot of compliments on it. Um, and just by putting something that came from, a luxurious hotel, but it was a feature added to a hotel you wouldn't expect it. And so we all, we all noticed it, you know, uh, my car dealership, uh, makes sure they have the very, 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 very best coffee in the world, the reception area, not just the traditional Keurig machine. It's something that's noticeably, uh, high end coffee. Well, you know, you might cut corners on some other things, but you pick out something that says, Here's something we can express a sense of, of style and elegance uh, here. And I think it, that feature causes people then to say, what else can we do that might not have any expense at all, but creates the same outcome, the same experience on the part of our customers. So I think it's bringing an orientation that says, are there little things that we can do? Um, you know, like it starts with a, the bouquet of flowers in the lobby of a hotel that may look like they didn't come from the florist that came from the jungle. They look out of the ordinary. And that's, it's think, taking the time um, to, to add something special, something unique. Um, and I think once you start that, then I think frontline people begin to say, we could also do this, we could do this. They discover things that they can do that uh, again, are not particularly expensive items but change the, the calculus on the experience of the customer. Uh, you and I have been all over the world. We've stayed in all kinds of places, upscale, downscale, and in between. Uh, you and I both look at, at service in a certain way. Uh, I find that if I accept, that's E-X-C-E-P-T, e if I take out the really highest end, uh, like the Peninsula Hotels internationally, that, that level, if I take them out, that the service standards I've encountered in Europe and Asia and Australia and Latin America are somewhat below those of the US on average. I wondered if you agreed, and if you did, why you think that is. I do, I do agree with that. And I have noticed it too, like you, I've traveled the world, but, uh, and I do see that even in the high-end hotels, um, I see 
I think part of it is, um, and, and this may sound like a stretch, but I think the way in which we have treat, um, rewarded free expression in this country, I think has given um, oftentimes liberty to um, express things in a, in a much less formal way, a much more giving way, a much more abundant way um, in this country. I think we, I think we are as a country, and we are obviously challenged sometimes, but I think we are, as a country are generous. Um, and I think our orientation is um, for the betterment of mankind. And I think that uh, woven into the nature of who we are as a, as a country, as a, as a country, I think contributes to more of a service orientation here. There are countries that, you know, I think of some countries that are more like we are in terms of the service, like Singapore, for example, that has a strong um, service culture in how they treat people. But there are, there are countries that do. But as a, as a rule, you're right. I think it's not quite the same level that we do. We also have become a service economy in, in ways some other industrial countries around the world have not, where we look at the, their GDP and where it comes from, more product-driven than service-driven. Uh, I think that also contributes to it. Obviously, Singapore is an example of one that's predominantly service-driven. Um, so from early on, it's sort of woven throughout the, the culture in terms of what they do. They don't have anything to sell but hospitality. So. I think both of those, that quest for liberty, quest for free expression, and the fact that we're a service economy, both have made us um, perhaps more of a leader than many countries around the world that we visit. That's fascinating. I really hadn't looked at it before in terms of freedom of expression. I need to think about that more. It's a hell of a point. I have one more question for you here, Chip. Uh, give me a couple of predictions, if you would. Uh, from your standpoint, from your views about the future of customer service, where do you think it's going? What changes can we expect? Uh, I, I would love to hear from you because you know more about this in, than anybody. I think I think one, um, and I and I've thought about this some too. I'll give you an odd example. Um, I think I we'll see a more return to more old-fashioned style service and not the high tech. I think one, and, and, and we'll see the humanization of high tech and in, in, uh, in much more uh, in what we do. I've been real impressed with some of the work Google's done with, with their artificial intelligence and making it feel like humans and using it as a tool to supplement human interaction. Um, I think that's, that's one. I've been noticing, and I, 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 look, I look for clues that say, uh, what what's a, what's things that are pointing us in the direction of our culture? I'm seeing, for example, a resurgence in small towns of the theater as a performing arts place and location where people come together in a village. More and more and more and more. I was spent the weekend in Virginia and um, in a little town um, that had a magnificent uh, performing arts theater. And this was a little tiny town, and there, it was the theater that seated 500 people. 
And it was a Sunday afternoon at three o'clock matinee and the place was packed. And I think, what does this tell me? You know, normally you wouldn't think there'd this be, and it wasn't the opening night uh, of this particular play had been going for over a month. And still the place was packed at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. And I think that to me is a kind of a metaphor for a return to more of a sense of community, a sense of the village, a sense of neighbor serving neighbor. Um, so I think to me, that's, we'll see uh, more of that. I mean, I think it'll run parallel with technology, et cetera, but that'll become more important. We, we are separate more and more. We're sort of in a, an environment that creates a lot of aloneness and isolations and fear. And, and so when we have those um, community outlets, community ways to connect, it gives people a greater sense of security and hope and um, uh, that they've got people counting on them. You know, we have all been incredibly inspired by Ukraine and what you, the people of Ukraine have, have done. I think it's kindled in all of us a sense of, well, we took liberty for, we took freedom for granted in so many ways. But I think the fact that they have been, I mean, you know, uh, everywhere I go, people say, we need to support Ukraine. Don't forget Ukraine. I mean, we've had other countries go through this and we've not had that same kind of reaction. And I think that tells us there's a longing for that kind of allegiance to each other. And that's why I say a return to community and it'll be expressed in many ways in the way people are served. So that's my big, big prediction. Well, thank you, Chip. A great, great deal to think about. Uh, would you tell my listeners, please, uh, how they can learn more about you, how they can engage with you, what your services are, and so forth. Oh, I'd be delighted to. And the, the easiest way to find out about what I'm working on, the latest, is my website, chipbell.com. It's a website I can remember. <laughs> and I, I'm always love to hear from people. My my email is chip at chipbell.com. Again, that's um, and I always welcome communication with people. I'd be delighted to share resources with them. So. At any rate, that's, I always love to hear from people. Well, you've been listening uh, to my conversation here with Chip Bell, who is a thought leader and expert, an icon, really, uh, in customer service, the customer journey, the quality of the customer. I think you've heard tremendously original ideas here today and great food for thought. Chip, thank you so much for being with me. Oh, it's an honor, Alan. I always love to be with you. Thank you so much. And best of luck on your new book. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You stay well. Yes, sir. You too. Thank you. You've been listening to The Uncomfortable Truth with Alan Weiss. For free access to Alan's newsletters, audio and video resources, and for information about his global events and coaching communities, please visit alanweiss.com. Thanks for listening. Keep the faith.